as Christians we, we, we make a unique claim really, we say that God is with us, that we experience the, the presence of God, we believe that God himself has drawn near with his temple, he's among us, which is a, a, a unique claim, other religions don't make those kind of claims, but we know that God has committed himself to being amongst us. Now of course uh, that is taken back, if you like, to our Jewish roots where, for instance, one thinks of Moses looking after a few sheep and suddenly sees a bush burning with glory and uh, it's not burned up, it doesn't suddenly turn into smoke and disintegrate. It's kind of a holy, uh, somehow a wonderful glory. Uh, and he goes to investigate and when he does, uh, he hears a voice speaking to him, calling him by name, Moses, commissioning him to go down to Egypt and bring out those two million slaves and, and deliver them from their captivity. And uh, he has this encounter, he, he knows to remove his shoes, to be in, uh, face-to-face with God, this extraordinary privilege. He goes down, he collects two million and brings them back. And uh, if a bush was appropriate to burn for one man, the whole mountain begins to burn for a nation. And you see lightning and thunder and smoke. And it says, and a trumpet that grew louder and louder. And the scripture says two million people, at least that whole crowd, heard the voice of the creator of the universe. I don't know if you thought about that much, but just imagine two million people are standing there in the desert and they hear God speak to them. And uh, they're absolutely terrified. They say to Moses, you go up and speak to him. Because uh, God, God is with them. And God begins to travel with them. God uh, uh, travels with them in a pillar of glory. This glory cloud goes before them. And by night it's full of light and majesty. And uh, God is uniquely with these people. He's come amongst them. They're his people. He, said, he brings them to this mountain. He says, I betroth you to myself. It's like, you're my wife, you're my special chosen people. God is beginning to bless the world, and he's not blessing, you know, in Australia, or in Russia, or in Argentina. It's these people. This, this is his people. And he's come to them, and the way he's blessing them is being with them. He said, I'll travel with you, I'm going to be among you. There was a time through their backsliding that God threatened to back off. He said, I'm not going to go with you anymore. And Moses pleads with God. He says, Lord, you must go with us. And then he says this, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go anywhere, because this is what makes your people unique, that your presence goes with us. That's what sets us apart from any other nation. Now they had holy laws and so on, but uniquely, the thing that really set them apart was that God was with them. Here's a nation that has the creator of the universe committed to travelling with them in a glory cloud. His presence is there. No other nation could speak of such a thing. God was committed to them. He travelled with them. Moses couldn't contemplate the thought of his not being with them. What's the point if you're not with us? And then God says, yeah, actually, I'll have my tent among you. And uh, we know lots of references to that. You'll find one. I'm just going to read you a few verses from Exodus 40. And quite simply, it says they made the tent. They, 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 they sewed together animal skins and uh, created this, this tent for God. And it says they erected it. Moses finished 
all the work. Then, it says, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses wasn't able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So here, among the tents, is this tent where absolute glory is upon it, within it. And it says that day by day, Moses would travel through the camp. The men would stand at the gateway of their tents, the doorway, and Moses would walk through the camp and he would enter this tent of meeting. And uh, he would come out with his face absolutely shining and put this cloak over his face to hide this fading glory that he experienced as he, as he was with God. God's with them. God speaks to him. God is manifestly among them. That's, that's the kind of roots, if you like, of a people who know God is with us. God's amongst us. And so when we read in John's Gospel, it says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then it says this, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Now we're moving into this New Testament experience. And I'm sure that John, when he wrote this, had this kind of Old Testament analogy in mind. That the God of glory, he he came and dwelt among us. In fact, it says, the word for dwelt in the Greek text is, he tabernacled among us. So there's that image that in the Old Testament, yeah, a tabernacle, this is a tent made of animal skins. Now we're not talking about a tent. We're not talking about glory cloud. We're talking about a human being, a person that you can talk to, you can be with, you can fellowship with, you can laugh with, you can feel his arm around your shoulder. And this is the word that's become flesh and tabernacled among us. And we saw his glory. The first time they saw his glory, we're told, in John 2, was at that wedding (laughs) celebration. Not in a religious meeting, but in a wedding celebration where he turns water into wine, he he saves them from their dilemma, he does, and they beheld his glory. God came right down into their lives and they saw the glory of God. He tabernacled among them. D.A. Carson says, God chose to make himself known finally and ultimately in a real historical man. When the word became flesh, God became man and pitched his tent among us. So here's God pitching his tent, but no longer in a tent really. We beheld his glory. A man living among men. And so John says elsewhere, no man has ever seen God at any time. But this one who has dwelt in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known, explained him. This this mysterious God, the God who's been dwelling with him in the bosom of the Father, he has come to make him known. And the, the Greek word is the word we get our word exegesis from. Now, Having been in Arnold's care for these years, 
you know, exegesis is. That's taking the scripture and explaining it, opening it up, giving you the understanding. That's, that's what we're taught to do at theological college, or if you're taught to preach, you, you give the exegesis. You, you open it up, you explain it, you make it clear. So, no one's seen God. But this one who was face to face with God, and himself God, he has come to make God clear to us. To be among us. In fact, if you look at Hebrews 1, I love Hebrews 1, which says similar. It says in Hebrews 1, God, after he spoke to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, different ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. In fact, it could be just said, in Son. It's a bit like, I think the last time I ever uh, preached overseas for which needed translation was in Turkey. I was in Istanbul a few months ago. And I, I spoke in English, and the people look at you as your mouth goes up and down, totally blank. And then this guy, he speaks in Turkish. They sp- he spoke in Turkish. God has spoken to us in sun, in language we understand. He's come to us where we are. That's what it says. He has spoken in sun. He's come right to us. And then it says this, he is the radiance of his glory. The radiance. You know, sometimes we do see some sunshine in England, don't we? <laughs> Occasionally. And sometimes you can be driving along, you see a break in the clouds, and you see this sunbeam, this radiant beam of sunshine pouring out. The radiance of the sun. That's what this word means. Here's the outshining of God. And what is that? Well, if you were in that and you're looking at, well, you can't look at God. No one has seen God. You can't look at God. You can't look at the sun. It would blind you. But this one who's come, he has shown us. He's come from, he is the Father coming to us. He's coming, this is God amongst us. Making God clear to us. He's the radiance. And it says this. He is the exact representation of his nature. The exact representation or image. In fact, it's the same word that's used when Jesus was asked, do we have to pay taxes? And he said, who's got a coin? We give him a coin. He says, whose image is that? And they say, Caesar's. Whose image? And what it means is this, that was molten metal and a stamp was smashed into the molten metal and the exact image is in the metal now. The exact image. The exact image. The exact image. Jesus is the exact image of the Father. We can say this. We not only have a God, we know exactly what he's like. That's a massive privilege. There's a huge debate. Is there a God? Could there be a God? And some might even begin to be persuaded. Maybe. I remember once I was speaking in a church and a guy gave his testimony just before I preached. Great big rugby player. Huge fella. And he had this little baby in his arms. And he'd been on Alpha recently. He said, his wife's standing there. He said, she was a Christian. I thought it was a load of nonsense. Then he said, then we had this baby. He said, I thought, there's got to be a God. People come to different reasons. I think... Maybe there is a God, but what's he like? Well, we know exactly what he's like. Exactly. He's the exact representation of the Father. We have a God, and he's exactly like Jesus. There's no inconsistency. 
No inconsistencies. This is a great mystery. God was manifest in the flesh. And John writes that. He says, the life was manifested. And we touched and handled this word of life. He lived among them. He, was a, he, said, he said to Philip, as we just read, Philip, how long have you been with me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. Do you not realize? This is a pure display of the Father. So, what's Jesus, what's God's attitude to little children? Well, we know the disciples' attitude, you know, get those kids out of here. Jesus, no, bring them to me. That was Jesus. Jesus said, no, bring the little children. We know Jesus' attitude to, to backslidden sinners who come back and ask for mercy. We, we see Jesus showing such mercy, such kindness, such tenderness. Jesus told what Charles Dickens called the most wonderful short story ever told. The prodigal son. The most wonderful short story ever told came down from heaven. That's not a man's, that's come from heaven. That's a heaven's story. And Jesus lived out mercy, kindness, embracing sinners who returned there's a woman caught in the act of adultery. She's thrown at his feet. He says, I don't condemn you. Why? He's going to take the condemnation. But go and don't sin again. He speaks a word of deliverance, of mercy. We see him with the Pharisees, people who hide behind their religion, who won't have anything to do with other people. You see the most frightening words. You get a revelation of God. Because you do get the day when he completely blew it, didn't he? That day when he went to the temple and there's animals everywhere and money makers and he took the table, threw the whole thing, coins flying everywhere, made a whip, drove them out, just blew them away. And I guess that night he said, oh, sorry, Father, I really blew it today. No, 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 it's okay, don't panic. This is, <laughs> this, this is a display of God's attitude. It's a perfect perfect display of God's uh, in fact Malachi the last book in the Old Testament you find God speaks through the prophets oh that someone would shut the doors I hate your religious displays Jesus came and displayed and demonstrated that he, they said we handled and touched this word of life God was among them, what we have heard, what our eyes have seen what our hands have handled. We have come that close to God. Not that he's a glory cloud up there now. Not that he's in a tent that Moses used to go into. He, he was among us. He lived alongside us. For three years, these guys shared their lives with Jesus. And I can imagine John's hand is kind of trembling when he writes, we touched and handled the life, the life, the life of God was manifested to us. We touched and handled. I leaned on him. God among us. It's a phenomenal experience. Imagine what it was like for the disciples. Imagine what it was like for Simon Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, the twelve. Every day they were Jesus. Imagine when, you know, each day you kind of wake up three years with Jesus. Three years, day after day after day with Jesus. Every day. <laughs> Imagine waking in the morning. Where's Jesus? Oh, he's praying over there. It won't be long. I wonder what's going to happen today. What about last week? Last week. I can't believe it. When he stopped that funeral and, and, and woke that boy up. 
gave him back to his mother. Wow, that was phenomenal. And what about when those lepers, everyone else is, they're backing off lepers, unclean. And he walked for them, he touched them, healed them. What's going to happen this time? What's, Jesus, what's going to happen today, Lord? What's happening today? And Jesus, come on, follow me. And, they, and it says at one point, Jesus went up a mountain. And it says 5,000 people, at least it doesn't say people, it says 5,000 men followed him. And then it says plus women and children. So again, D.A. Carson says probably his guess would be 20,000 people. That's his guess. 5,000 men, women, children. They all climbed up this mountain, followed him. And it says this, he taught them and healed them. And then they went to sleep. And then the next morning, he wakes up and he teaches them and heals them. And then they go to sleep again. And then he wake up on the third day and it says this, he healed them all. 20,000 people it's like a small village, eh? A third world, as we would say in these days. And Jesus healed every sick one there. It's like God came down on a mountain. The kingdom of God broke out on a mountain and everybody got healed. And they heard him speaking amazing, amazing wisdom, insight, revelation, kindness, love, Breathtaking. Even the enemies went to capture him. And they came back empty-handed. They said, where, where is he? Oh, no man ever spoke like this man. It's breathtaking. And at the end of the three days, Peter and the disciples say to Jesus, Hey, Lord, um, they've been with us three days. These guys will be tired. They'll be hungry. We should send them off. Go and feed. Get, get, go and get food. And Jesus says, You feed them. Huh? You feed them. Loaves, fishes. Jesus takes it, breaks it, blesses it, gives it to them. You feed them. Uh, we feed them. I guess. I guess. I guess. Simon Peter goes. You know, mm, a little bit for you, a little bit for you, you know, a little bit for you, and you think. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> and some for you. Wow. Wow. I, 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 wow. There's a day that, you know, Jesus is walking on the water and Peter sees him and he's learned a thing or two. He says, if it's you, tell me to come to you. So he's learned. You don't just jump off the boat. If he's you, tell me to come. Jesus says, come. And Peter gets off the boat and walks on water to Jesus. Just a hand's distance from him. Now we know he saw the clouds and the wind and the waves and the stuff. And, but he walked to Jesus. And he walked on water. Yeah. I mean, what, what's life like living with Jesus every day? What is life like? God has come down. He's living alongside men and women in an awesome way. What was that like? Can you imagine? Well, that's the background of my first verse I read to you. First verse I read to you was this. Jesus said, Little children, I'm with you a little longer. Now, a while back I was reading that and I, I never kind of took it in before because I think, because when I got saved, someone said to me, 
you know, now God's come into your life, he'll never leave you. And we kind of celebrate that, he'll never fail you, he'll never leave you. No. And so, you read a verse like that and it doesn't kind of hit you. And I thought as I read it, I felt God said to me, read it like Peter would have read it. Read it like he would have heard it. He, he didn't read it, he heard it. He's someone who's, who's been with Jesus every day. He's someone who could say this, I have left everything to be with you. And Jesus suddenly says, I won't be around much longer. You what? Imagine. Imagine when you've been with Jesus, you, you, you've done a phenomenal things. You've, you've fed thousands, you've even laid hands on the sick, you've, you've, you've been around Jesus, this phenomenal life imparter, this breathtaking person. Not like Paul. Paul said this, we do not preach ourselves. Jesus could never say that. He preached himself all the time. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the door to the flock. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. If anyone's thirsty, come to me. If anyone's weary and cast down, come to me. I'll give you rest. I am the answer. I am the life. Come to me. And that was going away. Can you imagine what it was like for Peter to hear him say, I'm going away. Beloved, for Peter, being a Christian wasn't, uh, we meet at that building on Sunday mornings and uh, midweek the small groups and you're a Christian. No, 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 this is the deal. I'm with Jesus every day. Isn't that true? I mean, the word Christian doesn't get used to later, but he's a follower of Jesus. <laughs> and to, to, be, to be a Christian is to be with Jesus every day. It's like God is with us. And if Moses says in the Old Testament, we're not going anywhere if you're not going with us, this is what makes us distinct. God is with us. That was just a cloud of glory. Now, there's this life that's handled and it speaks love and wisdom and insight and heals and does breathtaking things and they've lived with God every day and now he says, I'm going away. Can you imagine what that was like for Simon Peter? Can you imagine him? He said, I'm going. What do you mean you're going? I've left everything to be with you. It says in Mark 3, Jesus chose 12 whom he desired for what? To be with them. Now he's not going to be there. I mean, it's devastating. If you can hear what I'm trying to communicate with you, that if you just read it like Peter must have heard it, that is like, I cannot believe you're going away. And then you find wonderfully in John 14, he says, I won't leave you orphans, I'll come to you. Pardon? I won't leave you orphans, I'll come to you. Oh, you're coming. It's okay, guys. It's okay, he's coming back. I don't... Jesus, you must never say things like that again. It's okay. He says he's coming back. He's coming back. Oh, did you imagine what it was going to be like? He was going away. Oh, Jesus, please, be clearer in the future. You, you mustn't ever say things like that again. Oh, I cannot bear the thought of living a day without you. I can't bear the thought. What would life be like without you? See, that's where they came, dear friends. That's the roots of our faith. What would it be like if Jesus isn't around? If Jesus isn't around? I mean, what is the church? Is a church a group of people who've got a fading memory of what it used to be like when Jesus was here. Is that who we are? Is that the church? 
And so somebody says, do you remember when he said, oh, I was wanting to write that one down. Oh, yeah. He went, oh, that was wonderful. Oh, yeah, mustn't forget that one. And when he did that, oh, yeah, that was, oh, gosh, yeah, write that. Don't forget. Oh, when he, don't forget that one. Don't forget that one. Let's keep a record. The church is a people who have a record of what it was like when God used to be around. And we can come together each week and we can look at that and think, oh, when Jesus was around. Wow. Wonderful, eh? What a wonderful memory to have. Hey, Peter says, What? Jesus says, Don't, no, no, don't be troubled. I won't leave you. I'll come to you. Oh, it's okay then. See, let's go through the drama with him. Oh, it's okay. He's coming back. See, if I, 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 I mean, I've must have read that verse so many times. I'm going away, and I've never kind of read it as it, what it must have been like for them. Nor have I read when he said, don't be scared. I won't leave you orphans. I'll come to you. And that was enough. Do you hear what I'm saying? From having had Jesus around, the devastation of his being gone, and then him saying, no, 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 don't be scared. I'm coming back. Oh, it's okay then. It was enough. We're okay. It's okay. He's coming back. So you've read that verse many times. When it says, I won't leave you orphans, I'll come to you. So what have, we, what have we thought that means? What does it mean for us? What did it mean for Peter? It's always important when you read the scripture to read what it meant when it was originally said. So we get the true exegesis. What is it saying? And it's saying to Peter, don't, don't, don't let your heart be troubled. That's why I jumped as I did. Because we don't often get the impact of that verse. Don't let your heart be troubled. We kind of take a verse like that out, don't we, and put it in a calendar. Don't let your heart be troubled. We say, thank you, Jesus. Good one, that one. We'll stick that one on the wall. But, but he said it when they're terrified. He's going away. Don't let your heart be troubled. I won't leave you orphans. I'll come to you. What does it mean? Well, it's interesting to ponder that for a minute. What does it mean? Well... I've, looked, I've got several commentaries on John's Gospel. Probably got more on John, maybe Romans, than any other. I've got loads on. And, and they all say things like this. Well, let me tell you what Bishop Westcott, he's wrote one of the early classic commentaries, he said this. The fulfillment of the promise began at the resurrection. And the promise was potentially completed at Pentecost. And is to be crowned by his coming in judgment. No one application of the phrase exhausts its meaning. Resurrection, Pentecost, the end of the world. No one of those exhausts its meaning. And you'll find that, if you've got the NIV study Bible, you'll find that in the study notes. Same thing. This, this, or this, possibly. Now, I just want to look at that for a minute. See, is it the resurrection? Well, the resurrection is pretty wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> imagine. Imagine these poor disciples. He's dead. There's no answer from heaven. He's not just dead. He didn't just die. He's, he's been disowned from heaven. He's been shown to be a crook and a liar and a cheat because God did not answer. He's a crucified Messiah and there's no such thing. He's a loser. And it's like, ah, oh, it's terrible. We've lost it completely. We lost our way. And then you get this wonderful thing of Mary 
Mary Magdalene, she's one of these people who, it says she was delivered from seven demons, and she travels with the apostolic band. It says when the apostles traveled around with Jesus, there were, it says there were some wealthy women who contributed to travel with them, and Mary was always around. Because Why? Because she could not bear the thought of living a day without Jesus. And so even when she's, she knows he's dead, she comes to the tomb on that first Sunday, and, and imagine, she's, she's just, she's so used to being around Jesus, just to be near his corpse, she can't imagine life without his being there. And, and so she comes to the tomb, and he's gone! And she cries out this heart-rending cry, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him! I'm going, he's gone, he's no longer there! And then suddenly she hears, Mary, Rabbi! Well, it's wonderful. Who can beat the resurrection? They could not believe for joy. But is that what he's talking about? Because within 40 days and nights, he's ascended into heaven. I think Simon Peter would be saying, you said you wouldn't leave us orphans. So for me, the resurrection doesn't meet what's happening here. What's happening here is, you're going away? It's okay, I'm coming back. See, he said to his apostles, we're going to all the world and preach the gospel. But without you? Without you? And then some would say, well, is his coming at the end of the age? He's, Westcott says, yeah, it could be the end of the age. Well, that's good news too. <laughs> it's wonderful, eh? Because what's happening to the world? You know, the climate change, the ozone layer's breaking up. What's happening? The money, economy's going up the world, Islam's taking over. What's going to happen to the world? Well, we know Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. It's great. It's great to know we've seen the end of the story. He's going to reign forever. He's coming back again. Hallelujah. It's wonderful. Of course it's wonderful. But for Simon Peter, who's been with Jesus every day, I says, don't be scared, Peter, I'm coming back in mm, maybe 4,000 years. 4,000 years! <laughs> what about tomorrow? <laughs> that's what, that's, that, that used to being God with us. Moses says, I'm not going anywhere if you're not coming with us. These apostles have been around God. The life was manifest. We handled, touched. We've had fellowship with him. Now he's gone away. William Hendrickson, who's a very conservative, reformed scholar, he says this, What Jesus means is my departure will not be like that of a father whose children are left as orphans when he dies. In the spirit, I am myself coming back to you. When the spirit is poured out, Christ truly returns. Thus only can it be explained that the disciples are not left orphans? We need to understand the impact of the coming of the Spirit from the perspective of what it was like to live every day with Jesus. To see that he said, it's okay, I'm coming back. Hendrickson says, it's I am myself coming back to you. When the Spirit comes, I am myself coming back to you. That's going to be different. So when Mary clings to him, Mary Magdalene, he says, don't cling. 
It's a new day. It'll be a new, a new manifestation of my presence. Don't cling. I'm coming back. I'm coming when the Spirit comes. So it's like on the day of Pentecost, when there's a sudden tornado in the heavens, I mean, a mighty rushing wind, and fire falls. And they're all, it's like Peter saying, He's back! He's back! And it looks like that too. Peter's down at the temple, and there's a cripple there. And Peter says, no, I haven't got any money. Look on me. Look on you? Yeah, look on me. Such as I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, get up. But wait a minute, it's not just there. Over here, Philip is seeing lots of people healed. and he's, In the name of Jesus, get up. They're getting up. They're getting, wait a minute, Stephen's over here. Signs and wonders. Wait a minute, Paul over here. What's happening? Jesus is back in his church all over the place. And he said this, it's better for you. And we've got to let our minds rise to that. To, to, to put that in a real context where real human beings heard someone who had breathtakingly changed their lives. So every day God is this close doing breathtaking things and he says it's better for you that I go so that the Spirit can come. It's better. The coming of the Spirit is not, it's not the Holy Spirit is thinly spread everywhere. He's manifesting amongst us. He comes to be with us. To be a believer then, dear friends, is to be with Jesus. Put in its simplest form. And we must never lose that simplest form. See, it's possible to become simply religious. And, and you know, oh, don't forget, it's Sunday meeting, we have the meeting. Don't forget this week, it's Friday as well. And you know, do read. And uh, don't forget to say your prayers. Oh, do I have to? You know, imagine saying to Mary Magdalene, forget, I just want to be with Jesus. Of course we find him in the word. Of course we find it in what we know as prayer. But beloved, it's knowing Jesus. It's being around Jesus. And to think, I don't want to live a day without Jesus. That's what it would be like for Peter. I don't want to live a day without a sense of meeting with him. I'm touching, he's touching me. That's, that's your, that's our privilege. That's our privilege. So when we do open the word, we say, Lord, that is your living word. I'm here with you. Lord, speak to me. I'm here with you and your word. I'm not doing my duty of reading the Bible. I, I can meet with Jesus. He's with us. He's here. Otherwise we are. But I said, we're just the people with a fading memory. What it used to be like when God was here. That's pathetic. <coughs> That's worse than Moses. It's like going backwards. The revelation is supposed to be getting better and better and broader and greater. We're in the dispensation of the Spirit. Moses was in the dispensation of condemnation. We've come into the fullness. We can meet with Jesus every day. See, the Apostle Paul, who, as far as we know, never saw Jesus in the flesh. He says that I might know him. I'm willing to count everything else but loss. I just want to know him and be with him. To just be in his presence. To just fellowship with him. Beloved, when we talk about a spirit-filled church, we're not arguing for the charismatic position. We're not arguing against John MacArthur. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I forget it. <laughs> you know, we're not, oh, this is our stuff. It's nothing. It's being with God. God being with us. See, you see, Jesus said, I'm the exact image. Well, the Bible says the exact image. 
Then he said, I will send another comforter. And in, in Greek there's more than one word for another. And the word that he used is one the same as. Another one the same as. Another one like me. <laughs> we can have another one like Jesus with us. And it's the Spirit of Christ. We're not talking about, you know, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then Spirit of Christ, what's that? No, no. Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ, Spirit of God, the Spirit who come in my name, the Spirit of His Son in our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit. Being with Him, enjoying His presence, fellowshipping with Him. I want to encourage you, dear friends, let's, let's not miss the heart of everything. We can live with Jesus. We can talk with him, fellowship with him, experience him, know him. I would just say as I kind of draw to a close here. For me, when I, I started seeing this in a new way, I said, when I, I mean, the way I'm trying to preach it to you tonight, it's like God's back. I, I, we've been seeing so much more happen in terms of healings, signs and wonders. We've, we've just been seeing God do more. Because somehow just embracing this realisation, he's here. All things are possible. He's here. So, I mean, we just said in passing a few weeks, moments ago, just been in America, I've never seen so many things happening in meetings as we've seen. God just touching bodies, healing people. He's manifesting his presence because, well, we're expecting him to come. He heals people. He heals the sick. He sets people free. He delivers people. He makes them whole. I believe, I believe he wants to heal people here tonight. Because he's amongst us. He wants, to, he wants to confirm the word. He wants to own it. God himself bearing witness. So it's in Hebrews. So the Lord declared it. Others bore witness to it. Then God himself bore witness through various signs and wonders. To demonstrate this is true. This is true. So some weeks ago I was in the, the church of Sunbury, which is not very far from us, the uh, New Francis Church. I did a mid-evening, mid-week evening meeting with them. And uh, at the end we just had a little time praying for the sick and, we, and praying for some people. And then uh, one lady came to me, she said, I don't know if you noticed, but she said, uh, she was in the singing group, the worship group. She said, that's as high as I can get my hands in worship. I said, I noticed you there, but I never thought of any restrictions. Then that's it, that's as far as I can get my hands. And she said, that's as far as I can get them down. That's, that's, that's the movement. And then she said, I, I, I can't do anything further than that. And I, I've been praying for other people, things have been happening, so I said, let's pray for you. And I put my hands on her shoulders, and now let's pray. Let's, and I said, now, now let's lift your hands. And she started lifting, and then she stopped, she said, oh, I'm scared. <laughs> So I said, come on, let's go for it. And so we just prayed once again, and she started putting her hands up. And it went up, and up, and up, and up. And tears started flowing. Oh, wow, and a huge smile. And her friends were all jumping around, look at this, look at this. And then she put her hands in her head. She said, that's the first time I've touched my head for years. She said, friends come in and shampoo my hair for me every week. She said, I can do it. And then she put her hands down, she said, oh, I can hold my hands behind my back. She hadn't done this for years and years. And she showed me a scar in her, her vertebrae, four vertebrae. She had surgery. She said, that's it, I can't do it anymore. God set her free. Because Jesus is in the meeting. Jesus is in the meeting. Set her free. I was at Mark Landra Smith's church a few weeks later in Camberley. And we were praying for the sick at the end. I just mentioned this woman's testimony. A woman came straight forward and said, that's me. I'm in the same thing. Pray for me. And I prayed. She just went, straight away. <laughs> and she, 
She said, ah, I'm doing that. Because <laughs> Jesus is in the meeting. Jesus is in the meeting. He's with us. He wants to touch us. He wants to make us whole. He wants to manifest his lovely presence. I know for myself, I was healed from serious back pain. I went to um, my doctor, and he sent me to hospital. They took x-rays of my, where the pain was. The pain was here. And uh, the, the doctors, I'm sorry, I don't know why. I can't see what's wrong with you. <laughs> I'd sat in the waiting room for ages. And at the end he said, all I can say to you is, don't sit on a hard chair. I thought, thank you very much. I've <laughs> <laughs> just been doing that for the last couple of hours. And uh, anyway, sometime later someone said to me, I want you to go to an osteopath. And, and I went to this osteopath and uh, lay on his bench. And uh, he actually said to the person who took me, you tell him what's wrong with him. They said, well, I'm not a doctor. Just look at his frame, tell him what's wrong. And he looked at me and said, well, he's got one leg longer than the other. He said, that's right. That's why he's got back pain. They're looking where the pain is. Problem is, you're out of line. So I started going to him regularly for some manipulation, but sadly it didn't get any better, so I stopped going. And then some time later, a guy came to my church and he preached, and at the end he said, some people got low back pain. I thought, well, yes, I have. So I went forward with several. And he said, some of you got one leg longer than the other. I thought, yep, that's me. That's what the osteopath said. And so he sat on the floor, and he took my feet in his hands, and it's quite visible that one leg's longer than the other. He prayed a short prayer. My short leg grew immediately, immediately. <coughs> that was the end of my back pain. I stood, I stood and watched soccer the next Saturday. I stood for two hours without pain. And that was Brighton and Hove Albion, to watch them for two hours. <laughs> That's a miracle. It's a miracle. But since then, I've had the joy of praying with a lot of people and, and just seeing, hey, that. And then, and then seeing out of that, God saying, now go pray for them. And then we've seen shoulders set free and necks and spines. And I prayed for guys in the States, people... They couldn't move their head this way and couldn't raise their arm. And we saw one after another healed, 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 healed. Because Jesus is in the room. He's here. He's here. And I'd love to finish our evening just by praying for people as might want to be prayed for. I'd love to pray. In a moment we just wind up the meeting. If you've got lower back pain, I'd love to start by praying for you. And there are others here who pray for sick. We would love to pray for you. And there are others here, sometimes you get words of knowledge which isn't the way it seems to be for me. But some of you just know. There's somebody here with this, somebody with that. You just know it in the spirit. So Jesus is here. So it's not just that I will do it. I would love to do it, but others will also. So what I'd like to do is if, you, if you've got lower back pain, in particular, I'd love to start with you, if I may. You know what it's like. You sometimes, you're standing in a meeting, it's just painful, maybe even sitting. Maybe the pain sometimes shoots down the sciatic nerve. And, you know, you think, oh, God, if only I could find something just to take the weight off. I mean, that's where it was for me. And it went. I mean, it just went. I prayed for a guy last week, and uh, he got immediately healed. And I noticed the power of God. I said, now you do it as well. And I sat him next to me. He started praying for people, and they started getting healed. And I was in one place in St. Louis the weekend before, at one either side. All three of us were praying for people. Because Jesus is in the meeting. That's the whole deal. Jesus is here. I won't leave you orphans, I'll come to you. So we, we want to see some people healed tonight, because Jesus is here. Amen?
So let's just pray.